the last chapter of the book. I can count on J-Dub. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he made it easy for me. Chapter 13. You know, we could wish that the chapter ended in the 12th chapter, and there were no chapter 13, because so much happened that was encouraging in the 11th and 12th chapter. After all, the Jews had shown a commitment to Scripture, Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. Then they showed a genuine thankfulness to Yahweh and all of his mercies. That was in chapter 8. They had a sincere repentance, spirit, and prayer, chapter 9, 1 through 37. And then they showed a loyalty to God by renewing their covenant. That was chapter 9. A willingness to move back into the holy city of Jerusalem. Chapter 11, 11, then they had an exuberant amount of joy. The Bible talks about, speaks all the time, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We really should have joy all the time. We shouldn't let circumstances, as they usually do, beat us down, and we, we tend to lose that joy. And I think the only way that we can continue and be consistent with the joy of the Lord is realizing and understanding that this, this place called planet Earth is not our home. One day we're going to be out of here. And we'll live and reign with the Lord forever. So that's the joy I have, knowing that one day I will see him and I will be like him when I see him. Chapter 12, he speaks about the spiritual leadership. And then chapter 13 makes clear he harps on a strict policy of separation from the Ammonites and the Moabites. Deuteronomy chapter 2, 23, verses 3 through 5 has said, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Because they treated, if you remember, the children of Israel very cruelly as they were being led to the promised land. They, they wouldn't let them use their roads. They wouldn't provide them water of food, Sihon and, and Og. And so the Lord messing with his people. And he said he's not going to forget it. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, and that's a great word in the scriptures. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loves you. He loves us this evening. And so with just a quick reading, if you read, sit, would sit down and read the entire book of Nehemiah, you think all is well and all ended well in Jerusalem. And, you know, we long to see in our own day to see God moving in power and moving in, in, in his strength and in his might instead of being a uh, lethargic and indifference and restoring because God wants to restore vitality to each and every believer in Christ. And when we don't let the cares of the world bog us down, once again, we're going to a place. We're going to heaven. 
But as we turn into chapter 13, we begin to see all is not well. We have to remember now, probably at the verse chapter 3, about 12 years has gone by. Nehemiah understands we need to be persistent in obedience to God's will. And, it, and being persistent to the obedience always entails to be vigilant. We can't kick back on that lazy river and float down it. No, we're, the believer is swimming upstream. By the, when the time you become a believer, you're swimming upstream. And when you stop swimming, you naturally go downstream. And he wants us to know that. You know, I know most of everybody here at Calvary Store, their families and all of that. And it seems like most of us were born, at least a parent, one of the parents, they knew Jesus Christ. So that would tell me they were nurtured. We were nurtured in Christ. And even if you wasn't, even if either one of your parents did not know Jesus Christ while you were growing up, you have nothing to fear. It can start with you. All these babies we're having at Restore, they are so blessed because their parents, if, if I'm accurate, and I think I am, the, the husband and the wife are true believers in Jesus Christ. So I just think of all of the children that are born, they're getting bread in the word of God. And that's a blessing. Seven months have gone by since we first met Nehemiah. Remember, he was a cupbearer in Persia, in the capital of Susa. And as a result, Nehemiah, of his praying, and it, we, we, we think he prayed for months before he blurts out his prayer request to Artaxerxes. And by that praying, consistently praying, he was ready when God moved in Artaxerxes' heart. The king commissioned him, remember, to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah reports to King Artaxerxes. It, it took place in the, it says, the 32nd year in verse 6. So uh, more than a dozen years have passed between uh, Chapter 13, verse 3, and chapter 13, verse 6. So that tells me the events recorded in verse 4 and 5 are to be understood as having taken place after Nehemiah departure back to Persia. Verse 1 tells us, on that day, they read from the book of Moses. And really, these, these first three verses, they can go along with verse 44 to the latter part of the end of, of verse 12. It flows better there. But it says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever, that's a, that's a terrible word, ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. That's in Numbers chapter 23 to Numbers chapter 24. And what he's saying is, they were not to be regarded as part of Israel unless they converted to the worship of Yahweh. That's all he's saying there. God wants his children to be separate. And I, I, I can guarantee you, since the church 
has been planted on day one, on the day of Pentecost, that's been a struggle. And that's been a downfall of the Christian church. And so after they were converted, then you could fully participate in the spiritual life of Israel. Jews were part of God's covenant from the beginning, from birth. But an Ammonite or a Moabite, they were not. They had to become a part of the covenant by choice. And that was by joining with God's covenant people. I probably told you this before, but it just blew me away when the the Messianic Jews said this. But we were talking, we were discussing uh, the Messianic Jew, and and I forget who who asked them this question, but they asked the rabbi, uh, when did you come to know the Lord? And in this cool, slick way, he says, no, 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 no. I've always had the right God. You were heathens. <laughs> we worship any and everything, what he was saying, but as if he had some kind of blessings because it, it, it takes more than knowing the right God. He would have bust hell wide open if God didn't reveal himself. So knowing the right God is like a head start. You start running 10 yards and then I'll take off, Jew. Then the Gentile takes off. But he was very adamant, no, no, no. I've always had the right God. I worship the right God. I was just incomplete. We didn't know Jesus Christ was the Savior. And that, that left a bad taste in my mouth. I still think about that. He could have said it better. But verse 3 says, So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitudes from Israel. So they quickly obeyed right here. Obedience should always be quickly because if you say, I'll do it later, I'll do it in three, three more months, then I'll change. Probably won't happen. Nehemiah saw this intermarriage with unbelieving foreign women as acting treacherously towards God. And we'll talk more about that in verse 23 through 27. Because four issues arise in this chapter, which all relate to compromise. Like I just said, hanging out with unbelievers. I'm not saying, hello, how you doing? Trying to turn them to the Lord. But once you begin to fellowship with unbelievers, then you're really headed down the wrong path right there. Be careful of that. That's why I believe Jesus sent his uh, disciples out two by two. Verse 4 says, Now before this, Eliashib, the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Tobiah is a Jewish name meaning Yahweh is good. Tobiah had appeared with uh, Gershom and Samballot in chapters 3 and 4. He has sought, if you can remember, to prevent the Israelites from building the walls of Jerusalem. And Eliashib is said to be related to Tobiah, possibly by marriage, I think. And so this is nepotism with no, comp- with no compromise at all. Jo- jobs for the boys, no matter what consequences may be. This means that he must have been a Jew uh, Tobiah, who made his home with the Ammonites, among whom he's done pretty well. He, he's, he's prospering. He's having a good life. And I'm sure that's why he aligned himself with Sam Ballad and Gisham. Ridiculing, remember, they ridiculed them in chapter 3 and 4 as they were building the wall of Jericho. And it reminds me of second, not of Jericho, 
up in uh, Nehemiah's day. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 4.10 when it says, Demas has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present age, anytime you're, you begin to sway toward the here and now, the glitter and glam of this world, be careful. First Peter says this world is passing away. We have a home undefiled, incorruptible, that's been established by the Lord. That's our home. Verse 5 says, and, and, and he had prepared for him a large room. This is the high priest, where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine, the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. So somehow, Tobiah has swindled himself a room. And the only way he could have did that is he could have had to be hanging out with the high priest. And it was a personable, it was personal for self-elevation here that's going on. It was a flagrant, it was wrong to do in Nehemiah's eyes. At best, a flagrant abuse of personal privilege. And at worst, a blasphemous thing to do to allow him to go in and do this. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem in verses 6 through 7, and it reads this, but during all this, that's why it says that, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. So he goes back to Persia in these two chapters here. Then again, certain days I, attained, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elisha, who's the high priest, had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out the room. Now, that's hey, It grieved him to do that. If we were, just, if we were, if we were to act this way, People would say, hey, that's not with love. But this man right here has a heart for God. He has a heart for God. I'm reminded when, uh, I don't know if it was D.L. Moody, probably Charles Spurgeon said, if my dad would walk into the sanctuary and there was no seats, I would, without even thinking about it, stand up and give him my sheet. That's my, my seat. That's my physical dad. How much more should I do for Jesus Christ? As I walk 24 hours a day, I should be honoring the Lord. That's the least I can do. And Elishab, his involvement in this were a serious, it was a defilement. What I can't understand is why no one else protested what he did to Tobiah in giving, giving him this room in the temple precinct. Once again, we're living in a time, especially what's going on in Israel, they're, they're letting us know if you see something, say something. Same here. You're complicit when you don't. The lesson here is that the decline can often come swiftly. Any decline comes swiftly without firm moral and spiritual leaders we are prone to drift away from our mooring. Hebrews talks about that. 
So verse 9 says, Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms after he had threw all of his stuff out and brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. What do you think of Nehemiah's response here? I don't think, once again, God chastised him. He had a heart for the Lord. He, he was warning not only himself, but the people of Jerusalem to be holy, and he knew defilement would happen more rapidly than he did if he didn't do anything, if he turned the other way. It's always easy to turn the other way. Nobody likes confrontation. I don't like confrontation. But we have to remember we're God's servants. What would he do? John chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 tells us this. Same thing Jesus did. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple, Jesus Christ, with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. The zeal of the Lord, it says, had eaten Jesus Christ up. The zeal of the Lord for his holiness had eaten Nehemiah up. Holiness is not negotiable. Uh, I know people say I have a righteous anger in the summer of 2021, and it's still happening now, when people were just breaking in, destroying stores, and you, you see these smashing grabs down, all those things. I get a righteous anger. I mean, just blatant immorality, blatant sin. And, and, and I just get upset about that. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord spoke to me. I believe it was from the Lord. He says, well, what about attitudes? What about unforgiveness or gossip or backbiting? Are you that passionate about those things? Because don't get it twisted, sin is sin. Sin separates a close walk to the Lord and so we should be passionate for those things. Anything that's not Christ-like, we should have a passionate heart enough to say, okay, Lord, let's get down to it. Let me yield to you and you do your work. Verse 10 says, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites, and this boils down to the issue of carelessness right here, each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So they had left, hey, I would not have wanted to be a priest in the Old Testament because if the people did not do what they were supposed to, you, were gonna have, you weren't going to eat. You would be doing the same thing these cats were doing, going back to their fields because not only were they, they had to provide for themselves, but their families too. Nehemiah says, why is the house of God forsaken and I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurer over the storehouses Shalimiah, 
the priest of Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Pedadiah, and, the, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful. We should always have faithful men and women in a ministry, in a position, because you don't have to worry about them. They're faithful. They're going to do their job. Nehemiah says, remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his services. So it now appears that the financial support for the temple and its administration had declined during Nehemiah's absence. Despite the promise, you remember they had made in chapter 10, verse 39, it says, they said, we will not neglect the house of God. I only went to a promise keepers event when it was really on fire one time, and I was listening to a couple of pastors, one very well known, and he got me to thinking, he says, the reason I don't, and you can do what you want to, if there's good teachers and they're solid, you, you, you should go. But he says, the reason I don't really rally around promise keepers because I can't promise God anything and can be 100% I'm going to do it. But it was more to the promise keepers movement than that, but that was his reason, and he has a point. We can't promise him anything. I can try my best to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit, and as long as I'm leaning on the Holy Spirit, he's going to equip me to do these things. But they had got together. We, I told you it was about 30,000 men and women and children got together, and they're promising the Lord we're going to do all of these things. And in a 10-year period, it had fallen by the wayside. Nehemiah's response was not to rebuke the Levites for going back home. They had to make a living for them and their families. But he goes and he, and he, and he speaks to the leaders of this. And that's very good. The Levites perhaps seeing the, and I, and I believe the Levites for seeing the hypocrisy of the high priest that also swayed them. Well, he's not doing his job. He, he's doing what he wants to do. Nothing is being done. Nothing is being said about it. I might as well do the same thing. That's why it's so important. Ministries and the church, ministries at home, we sh- the, the, the person in charge should be leading, should be doing things when nobody else does it. Leadership is not, okay, I'm a leader of this now. I can sit back and kick my, my, my shoes off and tell people what to do. Jesus Christ, he's the greatest servant, and he always served. And so that could have been the reason it happened also. The next issue was commercialism. The dis- and the Jews have always had, since the Old Testament, a dislike for the Sabbath. So this was nothing new. 300 years earlier, the prophet Amos said this in Amos 8.5. They were, this is what they were saying, the Jews. When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekels large, falsifying the scales by deceit. 150 years earlier, the prophet Jeremiah had also described beasts of burden carrying loads in and out of the city on the Sabbath day. That's why he says in verse 15, in those days, 
I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt, dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah. And in Jerusalem, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark, they said, okay, we'll do this then, before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. So Nehemiah is dealing with this particular infringement on the Sabbath. He shut the gates, but they still could not wait. What they did, they said, okay, we're just going to line up. Reminds me of when I was a little kid at Six Flags or when I went to... uh, Disney World, and, and you get up early and you get there before the ride started, all that. That's what they were doing. They couldn't wait to sell things and all that stuff. So Nehemiah says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this. Our jobs as leaders, that's why it's so important for us to, to live godly lives because people are always watching. And like I, like I said, when I did the, this funeral I went to, people called me Amos. And I used to not like that, but I like that now. Because Amos, when I read the book of Amos, Amos was no nonsense. He told it like it was. But he was speaking from the heart. And sometimes you can be so... And it's always speak the truth in love and, and speak with kindness. And, do, and, and I'm not saying that, fruits of the Spirit. But the truth must be told. It must be told. I don't want anyone that I spoke to them about Christ Jesus that they would say if they don't make it to heaven, if he would have said it with more passion or if he would have said it with more love or, or today is the day of salvation, harden not your heart. Today is the day. It's not a joke. It's the truth. And, and unbelievers need to understand that and know that. Verse 20 says, now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice in order to ensue, they could sell their wares quickly and get, get, get out of there. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Now, I don't know what that means, but I could probably figure it out. From that time on, <laughs> it worked. They came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. This is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
every day, if we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will do the sanctifying in us. He will cleanse us up. He will make us more like him. And then he says, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming hour of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only reason we're down here. I think it's Second Peter that says we're, no, Ephesians says we're building blocks. We rub against one another. We might not like this person doing this. We might not like this person doing that. But he's, he's neatly fitting us together to be a temple of the Lord because we have not arrived yet. So what if someone rubs me wrong or rubs you wrong? If they're believers, you let them rub you because the Lord is trying to do something in you. Verse 22, and he says this often. He says, remember me, oh my God. We would think of the Lord a lot more if every time we would do an activity, every time we would do something, we would say, Lord, remember me. If you're doing something wrong, you wouldn't say, Lord, remember me. You say, Lord, I heard you forget and you never bring things up again. How about doing that? But this tells you the walk of Nehemiah. He said, remember me, oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Hesed, covenant mercy. I want to know, are you offended by Nehemiah and the things he does? Because a lot of people they can get offended by it. But once again, Nehemiah has a passion for God's holiness. And I think Jesus sits back, God sits back and says, man, this guy loves me. Not that we have to defend his holiness or any of that. He's capable of doing that himself. But like I said before, if I heard someone saying something about my mom and dad, I would get upset. And I will surely straighten them out. How much more God himself, who's birthed us into a living hope. And so the Sabbath day, they're, they're, people say, well, we don't have to honor the Sabbath day. And New Testament believers, we don't have to honor it. We should honor it, not doing the things they did. But you set a day aside. And, and we know that Colossians says, any day you want to set aside is special, you can do that. But there is a day where you should just meditate on the Lord, kick back, and, and count your blessings. He's been good. That's all he's saying right here. Neither Ezra nor Nehemiah, as much as they tried, was capable of transforming the nation of Israel. That's going to be left up to Jesus Christ. He's going to do that. It says in verse 23, in those days... I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. This is what Ezra was speaking about. They're going to learn another language. They're going to, they're going to enter into these mixed marriages. They're going to learn another language. They're not going to know Hebrew anymore or Aramaic anymore. How are they going to know the word of the Lord? That was his whole thing, and it's beginning to happen. It says, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. 
worse still happened to the, the, remembering Ezra, when Ezra spoke about this, he made them separate. Some of them had kids. What happened to the children? But Ezra said, no, you're going to mess up the godly line. And so Ezra makes them separate here, and Nehemiah doesn't. Verse 25, so I contended with them and cursed them, put them under an oath. He didn't say any bad words, I don't think. Struck some of them and pulled out their hair. Now, I read many commentaries on this. When it says struck some of them and pulled out their hair, and a lot of them said, no, he didn't mean this. After he put them under oath, he made them shave their heads. That was in disregard or disrespect. Well, the Holy Spirit could have said that if that's what happened. I'll have to find out when I see Ezra in heaven. And made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wife to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Matthew Henry makes a great comment. He says this. Ezra, in this case, had plucked off his own hair in holy sorrow for sin. Nehemiah plucked off their hair, I would have been writing with Nehemiah, in holy indignation at the sinners. He then goes on to say, see the different tempers of wise and good and useful men. So he didn't call either one, you shouldn't have did or bad or anything. And the, and the diver graces as well as diver gifts of the same spirit. I like that. Verse 26, did Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? We know that's how Solomon fell. Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? The matter was intensified by the fact that certain priests were guilty of this offense. And by the time Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, it had become obvious that a serious problem was present in Israel's this marriage uh, policy, this intermarrying. They might have stopped for a little while, but it's back going on. Verse 28, and one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, who was the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. Once again, an unbeliever with a believer. So Nehemiah chases, he must have been pretty fast, his high priest's grandson from the temple. It then says in verse 29, remember, he says it again, remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at the appointed time. Remember me, O my God. Nehemiah, a great book. Ezra was a great book. But Jesus Christ is missing in this. No matter how much they tried to follow God, they couldn't do it. They really couldn't do it because the Holy Spirit was not indwelling them. When I think of all these godly men 
in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, and there's a lot of them, they followed the Lord without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, every one of them will say, y'all in this New Testament, y'all in the P, you are in the Peewee League because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And you don't even follow him as good as we did. I'm thankful for the new covenant. It makes me think if they could follow the Lord without God being inside of them, I have no excuse. We need to be disciplined in reading of a word, in prayer. And I don't even think it's for that day or that week or that month that you're doing these things, practicing these things. It's because you love the Lord, it should be, that you're reading about him, wanting to become more like him. He was a praying man. But I think when we're really in the word and in prayer, I hope this does not stop anyone, but it's for something that's coming down the pipe. God wants us informed. God wants us to walk close to him. So when things don't happen the way we think they should, we won't waver. We won't fall down. This world is not going to get better. I'm here to tell you, it's going to get worse. And we need, to, we need to have a steady walk with the Lord. We need to walk close to him. Like the children, a lot of the children of Israel did, and the Bible always said in Numbers, those that were on the outskirts, the hinder parts, as the King James would say it, those were the ones, and, and it said, God would chastise. He would burn them up. But the ones that were close to him, they walked steadily. So I exhort you guys to walk close to the Lord, no matter what happens in this life. This is not our home. We need to walk close to the Lord. Who knows when an unbeliever is looking at our lives? And we don't want to be doing the wrong thing then. We know we have at least one guardian angel always watching him. I'm going to tell him when I get to the kingdom of God, just don't say anything about me. Don't say anything that you saw me doing anything else. Don't spread it. As if Jesus doesn't know anyway. But we should live holy lives. It matters. It matters because Jesus poured out his blood for us. He died for us. God died for us and rose again. And even though we live under a new covenant, it's not about grace that, that we, we can do unrighteous things. And we can say, well, it's only because of grace. Grace, as, second, as Titus says, is the ability for us to live holy lives. That's what the grace is for. We'll be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, our, our next book. I'm going to enjoy that. Let's pray. Father, you are an amazing God. And if I knew that song by Chris Tumlin, I might sing it now because I love that song. You are an amazing God. 
And he just begins to roll off what you created and, and, and what you do and all these things. And then he, he says, you are an amazing God. That word amazing should be only for you. You're much more than amazing. You're long-suffering. You're patient. You're kind. You're tender. And you call your children friends. You care for us, Lord. You're concerned about us, Father. You're concerned over every aspect of our lives because you love us. You proved your love by dying on the cross, but the grave could not hold you because no sin was in you. And now all we have to do is accept you by faith and you will allow us to be your friend. You paid a great price, Father. May we just sit quietly by ourselves and meditate on your goodness and your kindness and your triumphalness in calling your children home. Lord, I pray for Calvary Restore, Father. I pray that you would continue to watch over us, lead us and direct us, guide us, for we look to you, Lord. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the, Father, to the Father God. Lord, and I started praying for this, started the message with this, and I'm going to end it with this. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for Israel. Lord, would you protect your people? You're the God of all. But don't get it twisted. You're not the father of all. And I pray for the Palestinians that you would save them, that you would reveal truth to them, Lord. Lord, I pray that there won't be many casualties to the nation of Israel as they're battling, as they're warring now, Lord. Two days ago, it just saddened me when I found out two Israeli soldiers had lost their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would protect them and keep them. And I pray for America, Father, that who would not believe your word is not true? We see it in the book of Revelations. I used to say, I'll say it again, I just don't believe the whole world is going to turn against the Jews. But I believe it now. Lord, protect your people. Protect your children. And may we constantly be in your word to give a, the reason for the hope we have. And that hope is from the hope man, Jesus Christ that he saves sinners like us each and every day, those that comes, comes to him, Father. So, Lord, bless your people. Bless CR. Bless all of those followers of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.